Hey, what's going on, good people? Um, thank you for joining the Oyster Ninja podcast. Once again, we're back with a um, not live interview, but it's live for me and her. Um, I'm here today with Miss Alicia Gallero. Oh, look at that. It's like I've been, you know, saying it for years. Owner of Naughty Sisters Sea Farm, right? Um, yep. Alicia, how are you, first of all? I'm I'm good. It's a sunny Monday. Can't complain. So um, I ran across your Instagram page and I just, you know, shot my shot, as they say. I was like, well, she's um, doing good things on the water and with oysters. And I have the platform to spotlight that. So I wanted to know more about you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah. Tell me about you. Tell me about your business. So, uh not really a, a true whim, but kind of a whim. I, I fell into starting an oyster farm back in 2020. Um, I had worked in, on an internship and had been exposed to aquaculture. Thought I was going to go to graduate school and basically instead. Um, on the day that the deposit was due to hold my spot, I decided I was instead going to put a deposit on oyster equipment. Um, I, I thought ju I was just going to work on a farm and this guy, Thomas, who ended up really being a true mentor of mine was like, why don't you just start your own farm? And, uh, I felt there was very obvious reasons why I would not be doing that. And here I am with my home farm. So, um, that was back in like February, 2020. So pretty pivotal time in the world came real quickly and COVID happened, um, which ended up being pretty awesome in a way. Uh, I was finishing my undergrad degree, so kind of had this um, new experience finishing college at a different pace and used that time to kind of lean into what this oyster farm might need to look like. And I never expected it to grow to kind of what it is today, which is still pretty small scale, but I mean, it's evolved quite a bit from, from inception. So before we actually hop on the oyster farm and all of those fun facts, I want to ask you that pivotal point where you were at, all right, do I put this money on college or do I put it on my future in the oyster farm? What was the final factor? Like, because I've been in that place and I, I, I chose oysters myself. So I want to know, like, what was your, what was your, what was the big punch? Yeah. Um, I feel like as a personality trait, maybe I'm always a little bit of a wild card in general. Um, but I've had, you know, some formative experiences in life that kind of lead me to be willing to kind of take these somewhat calculated risks. So I kind of found myself in a place where I'm like, I am excited about this grad program, but if I'd be more excited had I not found this other thing and grad school's still going to be there, but this opportunity might not, um, you know, I figured I can apply again. There's always going to be another program. I don't know what I want to focus in because I want to work in this space and kind of just ran at it with like, what do I have to lose? It wasn't overly thought about, but I felt like because I had, I feel like when you make a choice, if you, if you aren't saying yes, then it's probably a no. Um, I, I kind of feel like particularly more recently in life, I've really leaned into that idea that if it's not a fuck yes, then it, it's, it's a no. Um, and I was like, right now, that's where I'm at. And I'm really excited about this thing. And I want to capitalize on my energy. And 
I knew, you know, there's scenarios where I fail or I spend a lot of money or I make a lot of mistakes, but that's kind of what made it exciting. So I think that was really that, that moment was like, if I'm not all in, I'm out and I'm all in on this. I like that mentality. I really do. Um, let's, uh, cause you, you talked about prior, um, experiences. Let's, let's talk about your, your upbringing. Um, was it on the water or close to it or how was your upbringing? Yeah. So I'm, uh, technically originally from New Hampshire, uh, which I often forget. I have say, often say I'm born and raised in Maine and I wasn't. Um, but I grew up, uh, pretty much all of my life that I'm in memory, uh, in Belfast, Maine, which is a small coastal town in the mid coast. Um, I grew up with like a water oriented family, but mostly with lakes. Uh, by the time I graduated high school, I could probably count on two hands the times I really had spent on the ocean, even though I grew up about 400 yards away from, from the waterfront. It was kind of like a part of my identity because we, you know, here in Maine, everybody's like very proud of like our lobstering industry and um, like, you know, we're in these like small fishing communities in the mid coast. So that's kind of just what, even if you're not connected to the water directly, it's just kind of part of the the town and the identity of the place where I grew up. When I was getting started, you know, I could fairly confidently say I could run like a, a little lake boat, but I wasn't comfortable with or fully understanding of tides or the weather. Initially, I got exposed to aquaculture because there was a large proposal for a land-based salmon farm in my community. And they were proposing a half billion dollar investment. And kind of on a whim, I decided I had to write a big paper in college and this article had come out the next day. And naturally I was not prepared. So I, I was like, I'm gonna write about this salmon farm coming to my town and what that might mean. And that was kind of the gateway drug to the sector and just kind of understanding what aquaculture is and and how, like how, all the different types that exist. I, did, I honestly at that point had not ever had an oyster. And I love seafood. I'm basically a pescatarian and it's just something I'd never had. Um, and then in the fall, I found my way into working with an organization called the New England Ocean Cluster. And the first day I really worked with them, they took me out to um, a mussel farm. And then one of the days soon after that, we went to an oyster farm and it was just beautiful and sexy. Um, this flat, calm fall day with main foliage. Uh, it felt like we were on this little bridge accessible island, just a walking bridge with a cottage that felt like out of a movie. And pretty much there, I was like, okay, this is it. I had my first oyster and I was like, I want to do this. Um, but I still thought I would, get, I, I would work for someone else. And that kind of just opened the door to a couple of years of working my way across a number of different oyster farms. I think I've been on more than like 55 now here in Maine. Um, something like that. You've been on more than 55 <laughs> oyster farms in Maine? Uh, maybe in total. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. What was your first best lesson, I guess, most important lesson you learned when working on an oyster farm, something that's still sticking with you? Um, always bring extra gas. <laughs> uh, that was a big one. Um, learning of like, you know, I, there's definitely been some times where I was humbled by the tide, you know, you think you can outrun it and you're going to make it and you're in a flat bottom boat, but, but I've been nearly stuck, um, more than I care to admit, you know, most of the lessons I've learned, like the oyster farming is the easy part. Uh, it's, you know, becoming a businesswoman and employing people and like trying to make sure you're being safe on the water and keep the product you're producing like food safe. Um, that's definitely been, been pretty educational. 
So so now we, let's let's hop back, I guess. So um, you didn't. You chose not to go to school. You chose to invest in yourself in the oyster equipment. And what did that process look like? Um, so initially I was working on these small scale aquaculture licenses, um, getting those put in. I put a deposit on gear without having a place in the water. Um, I wasn't super sure about like if I would get any of the licenses in time to get oysters in the water in 2020. Um, but with COVID, it, it definitely affected the market. So I was actually able to purchase one-year-old oysters from my mentor. We were in the same zone. And he really facilitated like helping me get my anchors in and, and getting the equipment on the box, like in the water. Um, Cause certainly I'd never done that. Like I was crying cause I could barely tie knots some days. And so that, that start, like it's come with tons of help, like massively leaning into my network and my resources, but, you know, trying to reciprocate that. So they helped me, I helped them, you know, um, they need a hand on the farm tumbling or, you know, just, just strong back, weak mind. That's kind of, I've paid my dues. Um, and then since then I've been granted my own licenses and we've been able to kind of grow between my sisters and I, now that they've kind of come on board. Yeah. So let's talk about the name Naughty Sister Sea Farm. So is that's how the name came about because you got your sisters helping you or? Kind of. Uh, back, back when I was really starting to name the farm, there wasn't a name for almost like nine months. I was just kind of like, I, you know, I, I wasn't doing it for Instagram. And it, we didn't exist yet. Um, it was just really like trying to come up with something that was, was I identified with me, a little bit of fun and and a little bit different, not just a geography. And I have two younger sisters um, and and after much brainstorming and everybody in the family kind of had something running, we, we finally kind of, I, I decided Naughty Sisters Sea Farm was where we'd fall. But it was nearly three years before, um, I guess, my sister Amy graduated college this past spring and she came on full time, kind of as a favor to me. It wasn't what she desired to do, um, but she was willing to kind of take on the challenge for a few months. Um, as I actually decided I was going to try to step into a job in a, in, in an adjacent space kind of, um, yeah. And so she was like, oh, I can try this, but it's not my forever. And our youngest sister has helped quite a bit, but she's a freshman in college. So she's actually currently living in London. So she's a little less accessible when it comes to getting on the boat. <laughs> so, um, Explain the process on how you even grow your oysters. I know different farmers do different techniques and things like that. How, how do you grow yours? Um, so from the beginning, we've always had surface culture. So we're working between six bag oyster grow cages. And then two summers ago, I started to add a section of the farm that were floating bags that, so that they were all individual. Um, because I was primarily working alone or with whoever would volunteer, come out and spend a day with me. Um, and it was just made the, the equipment a lot easier to work with and more accessible. Um, and so that's what we're still working with. And then we overwinter all of our gear on the bottom. So all those floating bags, uh, those oysters go into bottom trays. And then the cages get sunk um, for the season. 
kind of to avoid any issues with potential storms or ice damage and that kind of thing. So are your oysters called naughty sisters also, or what's the name of your oysters? Um, generally, I tell people I call them a naughty pearl. Um, I like that. And like, I, I don't have like some specific name. We generally just sell uh, cocktails and, and petites. Um, so we haven't like blushed out great names. Mm -hmm. um, but usually I just say it's a naughty pearl or naughty sisters. Okay. So right now, so um, who are you selling your oysters to? So in Maine, we're really fortunate that even if you're not a dealer, we can actually sell direct to restaurant. Um, if restaurants hold a certain type of license, uh, that's pretty accessible for them. So we're located very close to Portland, Maine, and a lot of restaurants here hold that license. So we're able to sell direct to restaurant and then also to two, um, two to three big distributors in the area. And we really like working with our distributors because they do a very good job. We're very confident in like the food safety aspect, and they put us in a lot of awesome places. And it takes one step away from me. So in the past year, we've kind of transitioned to moving more in with our distributors as we're moving more volume. Um, so we don't have to run a hundred to every other restaurant in the area. Um, so that that's primarily what we're doing. Most of our oysters are kept uh, in the greater Portland area, unless we um, kind of have specific events where occasionally we've done shipments down in New York City, or recently we did Vermont. Was the New York, did you go to Billion Oyster? Yeah, we've done uh, Billion Oyster the last few years. And then while we were in the area, um, we were fortunate to also work with this organization called Giving Kitchen, um, where they did a private event uh, as part of a fundraising effort for their organization. Um, and we got to work with Chef Mark Murphy, who's one of the judges from Chopped, and Jamie uh, Hyder, I think, um, who's from SVU, who's like now a member of their board and, and supporting these efforts. So we've kind of been kind of looped in there and met a lot of people while doing that. So we hope that there's more, more to come. It seems like you're involved in, well, it seems like you do a lot just to be a new company. First of all, it's crazy. It's amazing to look at your social media. That's what I'm up here. I'm like, wow, she's in that. She's doing that. And then it was like what, top 40 or something like that. You're, you're like in a, how do you find yourself in all of these different circles? Um, that's a fantastic question. Uh, and something I was recently talking about with people, um, I think one of my strengths is I I kind of joke about this, like in terms of social media, like anytime there's plenty of other oyster farms that are producing a fantastic product and at a larger scale and employing more people and doing really good things. But like my strength right now is like my tool, my toolbox is I've, I've been good at storytelling and sharing this and and I'm like, your strength, your tool and your toolbox is that you actually know how to farm oysters. <laughs> so it's a give take. Um, but also, I think uh, like it's it's somewhat like a personality thing where I'm, I'm really social and any opportunity to get to meet new people. Um, something I kind of live by is like I really genuinely try to invest uh, in the conversations and those interactions that I have. And I've found that like when you, you know, really authentically talk to people and invest in, in that that they generally reciprocate and um, it, it's just led to like a lot of really cool opportunities. Uh, I think I often say yes. So there's probably people who've had some opportunities and they're maybe more balanced in saying no, but I've, I just try to um, take advantage of whatever might come my way and 
the universe is giving and I'm on receive. <laughs> I like that. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? Um, I am 25. <laughs> 25. You have an oyster farm. You're in a bunch of uh, great circles, working with a great, a lot of great chefs and nonprofits and things. That's awesome. She's 25. Man, what was I doing? Getting in trouble? <laughs> I, I still get up to some trouble, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, more often than I probably care to admit. <laughs> don't admit. That's, yeah. that's, <laughs> um, did you work with uh, minorities in aquaculture? Yeah. So I was fortunate to meet Amani Black, um, I guess, in maybe 2021 at a Northeast Aquaculture Conference. Right when she, it was, it was pretty short after kind of the creation of um, minorities in aquaculture. And we got to connect at this event and kind of offhandedly, she's like, would you consider hosting an intern um, if the opportunity arose? And I was kind of like, yes, but also pretty <laughs> surprised because at the time I was in like 20, I was 23. So I'm like, host an intern? I am an intern. <laughs> like, uh, but through that, uh, a few months later, she reached out and she's like, I have someone who's super interested. We've got some funding. We want to get them out to Maine. And it kind of opened this door. Uh, and I was very nervous. Um, the person coming, she was a PhD student. Uh, and I'm like, you're going to send her to me? And we had this fantastic couple of weeks. And I think if anything, I learned, you know, I've had both positive and negative intern experiences myself. And I had a couple in school and I really tried to pour into like, I want to invest in you. I want you to get what you want out of this while also working together, kind of meet both of our goals. And after that experience, Imani reached out again last year. We were fortunate to have two more people join us who were really fantastic. I mean, I believe that Taja, um, she had some experience on Oyster Farms, but Laura, our other intern, she came here from Indiana. Uh, she's a student at Purdue. I thought she had never been on the ocean when she got on her boat, but I might've been told, I think that she had never actually been on the boat. So she showed up to an oyster farm. She moved here from Indiana and she like was ready to play and, and willing to learn. And it was really awesome to like, I don't want anyone to ever feel like they need to step on my farm and know something about being on the water. I want to provide them like the tools to be safe and to learn but I just think that, you know, I wouldn't have been out here had someone not just let let me walk on the boat one day without any clue what I was doing. What do you think is the um, importance of creating that safe space for, you know, um, people to just mess around and find out? Um, I mean, I think that's like one of the most valuable things we bring to the table right now. I would love to say that we're producing tons of oysters and making a lot of money. Uh, and and that's, we're not there yet um, for sure. But I think that it, I've kind of come to realize that my, my superpower is maybe creating a culture where people feel like they, they can come and they can try. I, we, I receive messages almost daily of people want to come out and we try to facilitate every opportunity that we kind of can, if our schedules can align. Um, I think that that grows the brand. I think it grows the, the sector and social license, um, for aquaculture as a whole. And then I think really what it, the thing that makes me happy and that really gets me excited is like, 
we all just need someone to say yes and like take a chance on us. It's not high risk for me to let someone come out. I mean, it is, it can be uh, when you talk to your insurance agents and you say, I'm going to have a bunch of people who don't know what they're doing out occasionally. Um, so we do have good insurance that's more expensive than I'd like to pay. But other than that, I think it's just, it's so much more than a, being about oysters. It's just about like allowing someone to investigate something they've never tried and they might be interested in and they could want to do it for a career or for a day, but there's something very spiritual about getting out on the ocean and getting wet and dirty and eating a oyster right out of the ocean, like right out of the water that, that you just picked up. So um, it's one of the most important things, honestly, in, in my business is to create that. I think the most important thing that I've ever done is um, I worked a week on an oyster farm. Granted, I don't want to do it again, but just to have that uh, understanding of, you know, the process of what it takes to get that oyster to the restaurant or to the distributor. Um, it was, it was very enlightening to see the process. Um, and it gave me more appreciation of the oyster also. And, you know, the workers behind it, like these, these cat, they work, you guys work, you know, oyster shucking is, is cool. You know, we get a, we get it sometimes, but like you guys are really, I mean, we were pulling up racks and putting them on the boat and spraying them off and cleaning them and uncounting on them, make sure they're the right size. I'm like, yo, is it break time yet? <laughs> so, so I get it. Um, so I encourage people to reach out. Um, are you part of the oyster trail? I am on the main oyster trail and this year we're kind of getting everything aligned right now, but, um, uh, we're hoping to move into like kind of providing more on the oyster trail too. Uh, historically, we we haven't been a seafood dealer, so doing like direct to consumer sales has been a little bit difficult. And then um, we got a new boat last year, and I had my captain's license, but there was just so many balls in the air that I wasn't able to kind of bring tours to fruition. But this season, that's what's coming is that we'll be offering tour um, farm tours uh, that, and you can find us on the oyster trail or on our website and we'll hope to have kind of a, a potentially regular pickup or uh, order form for buying directly from us as well um, but the oyster trail is like really cool because it, it really illustrates how many farms are along our coast yeah I was gonna ask you to um kind of break down what the main oyster trail is but I think you you hit it I think people get the idea if not check out the website or google it main oyster trail yeah, um, basically uh, a website that illustrates um, everybody's, all the, the farms along the main coast, and it lists where you might potentially find them, if you can pick up, and what they might offer, be it a farm tour or where you might be able to find their product. Um, and you can check in, and if you've tried someone's oyster or been to a restaurant along that, um, you can check in and earn merch uh, so they've got some cool swag bags and hats and stickers and koozies and all kinds of stuff they'll send you away what do you think um is next for your oyster farm uh, that's a fantastic question because i feel like i'm always kind of an existential crisis I'm trying to think do we lean into this and go big or do we love where it's at and um right now the big thing that we're working on is we've got a few different collaborators um to really lean 
we're in a, a unique spot in Maine also to kind of tee this up geographically. We're just north of Portland. Um, we're just out of a river that you can access at all tides and it's very protected. And um, it makes it kind of keen to be a demonstration farm for other farmers to come and look at and either learn or, or see this equipment. So something that we're working on right now is um, building out a, a new barge that will have a fully electric um, engine on it to move around the farm so we can work across, across the line. It'll have a solar array that'll power our tumbler and water pump um, kind of as the starting point. And then um, kind of going from there, but the, the goal is to become the first carbon neutral aquaculture uh, farm or at least oyster farm in the state of Maine. Um, we've got uh, potentially like a partnership with someone with an organization so that we can have a fully electric Ford Lightning truck that is able to power the um, truck refrigeration unit uh, that that will allow us to distribute our project our product from. Um, so pretty cool, big stuff in the works. Uh, just we know that we're not like saving the world and starting a revolution, but someone has to kind of implement these things so we can learn about you know how long does stuff last in the salt water? How do we make the farms quieter so they're not just um, better for the community, but, you know, better for people who are hard of hearing or protecting their hearing. So that's, it makes the farm a safer place. And then moving into like greater automation so that we reduce like the physicality of the work um, and make it, you know, not just like, we've got a lot of women and we've worked with minorities in aquaculture and providing opportunities for women and people of color, but um, it's really important to me that like this is a space that can be shared with people with other disabilities or like um, accessibility challenges. So we do that by uh, like re removing, you know, the physical barriers. So that's kind of the big thing in the works. We're not necessarily expanding significantly, but how do we further automate this so it's more sustainable and, and we can really uh, provide more op educational and learning opportunities too. Now, can you um, pull from your inner Greta, you know what I'm talking about, right? Greta, Greta Thunberg, yeah. Yeah. Can you pull from her? All right, if, it's, if that's you, that's you. But can you give me your sustainability spill? Um, like when somebody asks you why our voice is important, why is this, why is Harvard, like, why is this even important? So I think this is actually interesting because I get a little jaded on this subject because I'm like, we're all just doing too much. Like, let me do what I'm doing well. Let me do one thing and like grow a good oyster and, and like everything else sometimes feels like extra and complicated and moderate distraction. Um, and also, you know, oysters are, are beautiful and sexy product, um, but they are kind of posh. They're expensive. They're not, you know, an everyday food. They don't fill you up. Like we're not uh, feeding the planet necessarily one oyster at a time. So I get a little frustrated because I, I hate to greenwash it. But what we are doing is sustainable. It's a zero input crop. We do not feed our oysters. It all comes naturally um, from, from our bay. Um, you know, our, our water is filtered by oysters. That's a byproduct of, of their thing. So we are adding to like making the air, the water quality, improving that. Um, and then what we want to do is they're, you know, two stroke and old engines like we run. Um, are really big polluters. They have different, you know, regulatory um, compliance laws that allow them to to pollute a lot more. 
where, you know, the engines idle a lot, things like that. So it is important that we move towards being an even more sustainable sector um, and, and to support what we're already doing by improving water quality. But it's also important that I kind of highlight it's, it's difficult to put this on the shoulders of farmers um, without kind of the, the, the group of people that have come together to support us in this work and like the, the current funding that that's kind of available. Um, it, it's very expensive and, and difficult to achieve. And it, it's hard when we're expected to be extremely sustainable to kind of um, align with kind of the goals of everybody in saving our oceans and protecting them. Um, we're already doing a really sustainable thing by growing the product, uh, but that isn't the end. So I guess my sustainability spiel is uh, we're growing a zero input crop that that's really good for the earth and, and cleans our waters, but that there's plenty of more work to do. And, and it, it's important that we protect our resources. You, you talked about um, taking the weight off of the farmer's shoulders. What would your perfect um, sustainable round table, who would be at the table? Who would have a seat? Um, well, I think, you know, part of it comes down to like having farmers there. Like farmers have really fantastic ideas and, and there's plenty of people in academia about like that are, are doing a lot of work on how we make all of this more sustainable, but there's often a diff disconnect between research and industry. And so I think it's always important to have representatives of both. Um, and then there's also often a disconnect between like nonprofit or grant programs and industry too. You know, I can go after all this money and report back on a project and make something up. And I see that happen. I'm like, no one is ever going to grow like, like this idea, you know, that they, you've come up with and been able to secure funding for. Uh, so it's almost more cumbersome than, than not doing it at all. But I think having there, there often needs to be someone from a regulatory body someone, um, you know, with a climate background, farmers, um, and, and people in academia, so we can really work collaboratively to, to make it even more sustainable. Um, I think one of the things we face right now is like in terms of sustainability, like uh, efficiency is everybody's, you know, kind of innovating. It's not a high margin, you know, business. So we're all trying to I don't want to say cut corners, but find ways to save money. And, and oftentimes those, that savings doesn't translate into like always the most, I don't want to say they're unsustainable, but the most sustainable practices. Cause we, we need to be financially sustainable. Too. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, you spoke a little bit about, you know, different, um, uh, meetings and, um, like where you met Amani conferences, mm -hmm. um, what other type of conferences do you um, attend that help you, you know, grow and connect with people? Uh, yeah. So the Northeast Aquaculture Conference and Expo is an excellent example of, um, you know, how I kind of grew my network in a lot of different kind of ways. Um, I'm a member of our board of directors for our trade association. So the main aquaculture association and that's been really informative because we're we're always um, just you know this is all we talk about sustainability regulation you know how do we support our space and our sector and and allow it to grow sustainably and with with the support from all all it um, all all areas and 
there's a number of other conferences and events. I, I believe I'm heading to Oyster South in two weeks, um, which would be will be like a pretty cool opportunity to connect with no, more people. We've got the Boston Seafood Expo coming up. Um, and, and these spaces are really cool, particularly these conferences, uh, because it's usually a collaboration of, of all those kind of people I throw out there, nonprofit, industry, um, trade associations, uh, you know, adjacent supporting groups like the USDA who are trying to figure out how do we support you better? How do we create crop insurance? Um, what don't you have in this sector that exists in traditional like ter 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 terrestrial agriculture? Um, and I've just kind of, on, I didn't realize everybody else wasn't doing all those things. I just, I, that's how I ended up there. I just thought I was following a follower, but turns out maybe a trailblazer. I feel like that's part, well, obviously you, you've told me, you know, that's part of your personality. So that's a good trait. Um, do you think that's um, another part of your age bracket also? Because like, Social media has been a big help. You said um, the whole um, social network of it is where you kind of excel. Do you think that's an age thing? I, I definitely think it's an age thing. Um, I think it's a personality thing. I'm, I'm, there's rare occasions where I, I'm not on the go. And I, but I, I think that I've, I've come to learn your network is everything. It's who you know, who you meet, and who, um, how to, I don't want to just say like capitalize on those connections because there's, you, you don't have to have a relationship with everyone to get something out of it other than, you know, just meeting someone and learning something new. But I think I'm really driven to kind of learn as much as I can, not just in aquaculture and like all things that I kind of enjoy doing, be it skiing or, or trying to surf or whatever. It's like, I want to be invested because um, you know, somewhere along the way, cool opportunity arises or, or there's the, that's how I ended up here. So I imagine the more you lean into that, the, the more doors we open. So I definitely think there's an age component and social media has expedited the growth of this. Um, but it's not without intention. I think I'm, I'm trying to not be as humble as I usually am where I'm like, it just happened. It's, I'm fortunate. It's, I'm lucky, but a lot went into kind of growing, creating that. Um, and, and a lot of time I, for a while, I said, I don't know what I'm building, but I hope it's an empire. We'll see. I like that. So you don't know what you're growing, but you do know what's growing. Um, the other part, I feel like this conversation can go on and on, but I'm going to cut it. I'm going to ask you one more question. Um, you're at a conference, you're at an event, um, you connect with somebody what are the next steps? How do you follow up? Um, <laughs> one of my next steps at a conference, if anyone who's listening to this has been at a conference with me, it usually leads to, um, so we're all going to a bar. Here's my number. Um, put your name in my phone and I'm going to let you know where we are. <laughs> and you'd be surprised how many people come to the bar. <laughs> and I think that's where like real connections are made. You meet them at a conference and you, you, you become friends at a bar and maybe over a beer, maybe not. But I try to just, I, I, I think that it's really cool to meet, meet everyone and that there's something we can learn and, and take away from all those um, kind of interactions. So I've been deemed at certain events, the unofficial after party leader, and I'm quite proud of it. Uh, 
and it, and it's it's kind of led me to a bunch of different spaces recently last year you know got a beer with this guy you and the next thing you know i'm flying to australia for three weeks to work um on his farm and and now he's one of my good friends and kind of just came from being like hey we're all going to get beers down the street so that's usually my next step <laughs> how awesome is that that's great that's awesome um then later i might ask for the linkedin LinkedIn. There you go. Let's get professional. Yeah. Um, thank you for your time. I appreciate you. We didn't even really talk about oysters, which um that's what I love about this platform. You know, it's Oyster Ninja Podcast, but it's more than oysters. We get to know the people and spotlight the things that we're doing, that you're doing. You're an awesome person. Um, I wish you much, much success. Hopefully, one of these times we can um get a beer and talk oysters and maybe have a recorder maybe not um but keep it going uh and tell them where can the folks uh follow your journey yeah um thank you again for having me uh the best place is probably instagram at naughty sister or also on instagram at naughty sister seafarm um spelt like nautical n-a-u-t-i and we're on LinkedIn and we're about to start leaning into the TikTok and maybe the YouTube because everybody says that's where we should be. And um, we've already kind of created the content for it. So so maybe find us real soon on TikTok. <laughs> nice. Love it. Um, keep grinding. Keep uh, creating those networks. Keep creating those safe spaces. Um, I appreciate you and the work you're doing. And um, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much.